Jesus loves you. Do you believe that? He does. He loves you more than you know. The sermon text this morning is Galatians 5, verses 13 through 24. I've entitled it, How We Grow in Christ's Likeness. And one of the main roles of the Holy Spirit, it's God the Holy Spirit, is to cause us to grow in Christ's likeness. Romans 8, 28 and 29 says, and we know that for those who love God, all things work together for good for those who are called according to his purpose. And so what is good? We need to know what good is, right? He's working all things together for good, for our good. And so sometimes we misinterpret what good is because we line it up with what we want and not necessarily with what God wants. And so verse 29 then tells us what the good is. It's defined right there. It says, for those whom he foreknew, he also predestined to be conformed to the image of his son or to grow in Christ's likeness and to be like him. Isn't that beautiful? So now we can understand. This is what what the work of the Spirit is doing in us. But growing in Christ's likeness requires something of us. It means we have to change. And it's not always comfortable changing, is it? In fact, we work hard so we don't have to change. We try to get bigger bank accounts. We try to do different things that would give us safety and I don't have to take chances and I'm just sort of comfortable and in control of my life. So knowing how God changes our hearts then, if we're going to have to be changing from now until the time we go to be with him, then it's important, very important for all us to, to know how he's doing that. So when I was at Westminster Seminary, it wasn't the theological uh, courses that were the most popular. The most popular class was the dynamics of biblical change. So all the future pastors that were there were hungering to know, what about how I change? What about how I help my congregation to grow in Christ-likeness? And so it's something that's, something that's on all of our hearts when we're serious about walking with the Lord. And so in order to help us to understand uh, about how the heart changes and how we grow in Christ-likeness, I've uh, given you a handout this morning. It's in your bulletin, and it's got two sides to it. Uh, two diagrams, and so I'm going to be using those during the sermon, so have that close to hand, and also I want to suggest that after we've been through this, that you take it home with you and think about it more, because this is something I think will really bless your day-by-day life, and it should uh, also bless the small groups this week, (laughs) if they want to talk about the sermon. So what do you desire This is a word we're going to talk about a lot this morning. What do you desire more than anything else? I'm not trying to ask you to be religious right now. Just what do you desire? What do you long for more than anything else? It might be respect, might be love, might be power, might be love, good health, saving the whales. Sometimes people like that. Feeding the poor, poor, world peace. Might be anything, it's okay, but just understanding what is it that you're desiring. 
understanding your own heart. What is it that you desire? And so it's important that we get to know our own hearts, what we're desiring, and also what we believe will bring us true happiness. Because those are often the things on which we base our day-to-day decisions as we go through each day, as we grow and we mature. They also impact our relationships. For example, true happiness only happens when we're in a relationship where we're perfectly loved, no matter what we do. Whatever the other person does to us, we will still love them, we'll forgive them. We're in a relationship where we're never at risk. That's where we understand and experience a full, true happiness situation. There was a man once that had that kind of relationship. But he believed that he should be in control of what would bring him true happiness. That man's name was Adam. And so he broke that relationship with God. His desire to control and to make sure that he could be happy was overriding everything else. But in the end, it destroyed his true happiness. And it also destroyed his relationship with his wife. He rebelled against God. He pushed God out of his life. And he started blaming Eve for all the things that he was doing himself, all the foolish decisions that he'd made. He became a blame changer. But in his infinite love, in his infinite love and mercy, God sent his son, Jesus Christ, to restore that relationship and to bring reconciliation to all of Adam's descendants who would accept him and receive Jesus Christ as their Lord and Savior. Jesus gave his life so that we can have new hearts. We can have the indwelling of the Holy Spirit. We can have loving relationships. And Jesus teaches us that there are two commandments that soar above all other commandments. The first is to love the Lord your God with all of your heart, soul, strength, and mind. The second, of course, is to love your neighbor as yourself. And all other commandments come out of those two commandments, is what Jesus tells us. Unfortunately, we don't love the Lord. We all know that with all of our heart, soul, strength, and mind this morning. And we don't love our neighbor as ourselves. And so this is what's going to help us this morning as we look how we need heart change as we grow in Christ-likeness. Our hearts need to change and we need to grow in Christ-likeness. And so we're going to explore now how that takes place. Please stand for the reading of God's word. Galatians 5, verses 13 through 24. For you are called to freedom, brothers, only do not use your freedom as an opportunity for the flesh, but through love serve one another. For the whole law is fulfilled in one word. 
you shall love your neighbor as yourself. But if you bite and devour one another, watch out that you are not consumed by one another. But I say, walk by the Spirit, and you will not gratify the desires of the flesh. For the desires of the flesh are against the Spirit, and the desires of the Spirit are against the flesh. For these are opposed to each other, to keep you from doing the things you want to do. But if you're led by the Spirit, you're not under the law. Now the works of the flesh are evident, sexual immorality, impurity, sensuality, idolatry, sorcery, enmity, strife, jealousy, fits of anger, rivalries, dissensions, divisions, envy, drunkenness, orgies, and things like these. I warn you, as I warned you before, that those who do such things will not inherit the kingdom of God. But the fruit of the Spirit is love, joy, peace, patience, kindness, goodness, faithfulness, gentleness, self-control. Against such things there is no law. And those who belong to Christ Jesus have crucified the flesh with its passions and desires. This is the word of God. Please be seated. Let's pray. Father, we thank you and praise you for your presence with us here this morning through the, through the Spirit, and we pray that you would open our hearts to understand uh, more and more about how you're working within us and how you're changing us and how you're leading and guiding us through your power. Or we don't know how to change our hearts, but you do, and we rely on you and depend upon you to do that and continue to do it until Christ returns. We praise you and we thank you for that. In Jesus' name, amen. Okay, let's look at our first point on our sermon outline. The problem, the big problem that we all have is that our sin nature is living within us or what the ESV Bible translate, translation calls the flesh. And so the flesh and the sin nature are synonymous depending which version of the Bible you use. And so for the sake of uh, simplicity this morning, I'm going to use sin nature because that's the one I use most of the time, my own personal thinking. So sin nature. So we inherited this sin sin nature. We were born with it from Adam, and we're in Adam as we're born into this world. And that sin nature is constantly at enmity with God. God wants to control us. The sin nature wants to control us. So which is controlling us in any particular time? Right? And so the sin nature uh, we see in verses 19 through 21. I've just read it, but it describes the desires of our sin nature. How is it trying to control us? Okay, so these are things that we need to be aware of. And this is not an endless list. I mean, this is, this is just a representative list, if you will. There's more things in this that can tempt us and, and uh, cause us to, to sin. So now the works of the sin nature are evident. Sexual immorality, impurity, sensuality, idolatry, sorcery, enmity, strife, jealousy, fits of anger. I know nobody here gets angry like I do. Rivalries, dissensions, divisions, envy, drunkenness, orgies, and things like these. I warn you, as I warned you before, that those who do such things will not inherit the kingdom of God. So why do you get angry? Why do I get angry? Why do I disobey God? Every day there's something that happens where I disobey God. 
So why do we find it hard to forgive people the way that Jesus forgives us? Why do we have problems with relationships? It's because of our sin nature and its demand to try to control and be in charge. So now let's look at our second sermon point. Let's look at diagram two. Uh, has uh, two hearts on it and your bulletin insert. So if you can grab that and look at it and follow along with me. The heart on the left is the unbeliever's heart, who's in Adam. Look at the question underneath the heart that the sin nature always asks. So this is what's always the focus of the sin nature. What will make me happy? That's why it's a selfish sin nature. What will make me happy? And you just think of any relationship that you're in, that's what your sin nature is, how it's operating, that's how it's thinking, that's how it's trying to influence you. What will make me happy? So this question reflects the desire then of our selfish sin nature. So this word desire connects in there, right? But the word for desire in Greek is epithumeo, which means an over-controlling desire. It's something that wants to enslave you. So everything the sin nature does is motivated by selfishness. Even outward looks like good deeds for the unbelieving heart is being motivated by selfish nature. It's never trying to glorify God, ever. So even kind deeds, even things that look nice, I'm gonna give $10 million to build a hospital wing, but I want my name on it. (laughs) It's always trying to curry favor for me, for my selfishness. It's a good deed, and there's many of them the world does. But it's never for the glory of God, it's always for the glory of me. That's very important for us to understand about ourselves. And then at the bottom uh, left-hand side of the handout, you can see two concentric circles. And so this illustrates how unbelievers are at the center of their own world. And everything has to revolve around them. They do not change. Not even for an iota, not even for a moment, unless it's for something that will glorify them or bless them so they can get their selfish way. So even God has to change. So everything rotates around them. They're the center of their world. So when my sin nature is in charge, I'm at the center of my world. And I'm acting selfishly. Everything I want to revolve around me. I want everybody to change. When I get in a broken relationship, I want the other person to change. I don't want to change. They're the ones who are at fault, not me. So unbelievers are never at war with themselves. They don't need to change in their eyes because the sin nature is always controlling them. They're enslaved by it, the word says. They're enslaved by it. It rules them. And so when the sin nature is in charge at any given moment in a believer's life, that's what's going on. But it's also destroying the relationships. It's not achieving the thing that they want. It's destroying relationship with others 
on the cross, however, good news, <laughs> is that Jesus defeated the power of the sin nature. So we don't have to sin anymore. And so at that point, that means that the believer no longer is enslaved by the power of the sin nature. We can resist that. We can pray. We can ask for the power of the Spirit to help us. And so we can turn then to the Holy Spirit when we're tempted to desire to sin. Isn't that great news? We've got a place to go with that. We don't have to yield to it. But the sin nature has not disappeared. It's still living within the believer. And the main weapons now of the sin nature are sinful desires and temptations. You'll look at places like in Ephesians 5 and you'll see where people are put on the armor of God. But yet there's that enemy in there that's firing those fiery darts aimed at our hearts. Shooting out of the darkness trying to control us. But God says, put up the shield of faith and you can quench those fiery darts. That's beautiful and wonderful because our reaction is just to pull up the shield, but God does the quenching. Now look at the second heart on the right of the page. This represents the believer's heart who's in union with Christ. So we are new creatures in Christ, 2 Corinthians 5, 17. We have the gift of the Holy Spirit who's living within us. This is what God has done. So both these things are gracious and glorious gifts that we've been given but the sin nature still remains. It just doesn't have the power, the absolute power that it had before. But it also means that we all have divided hearts. Everyone in here now has a divided heart who has become a new creature in Christ who has the spirit living within them. And so that means there's a war every single day from the moment you wake, wake up in the morning to the time you put your head on the pillow at night. There are competing desires, this war is going on inside of you. Which one's going to rule you at any given moment or second, depending on the person you're talking to or the place you're in, whatever's going on that day. And so we need the power of the Holy Spirit working in us to help us with these things. And this is why verses 16 through 18 describes the war. But I say, walk by the Spirit and you will not gratify the desires of the sin nature. For the desires of the sin nature are against the spirit and the desires of the spirit are against the sin nature. For these are opposed to each other to keep you from doing the things you want to do. But if you're led by the spirit, you're not under the law. So there is this daily competition of desires that are going on inside of our hearts every day, all day long. So the question is, which desire, which controlling desire is going to rule you at any particular moment. I know none of you shout at your kids or get mad at your kids for their disobedience. Like me, my history is full of that, raising all of our kids. Well, where did that come from? That's my sin nature. I wanted them to obey me. I wanted them to be perfect. Never have any problems, these wonderful children that I love so much. Just do what I say, it's simple. 
And so for a moment, a flash, the sin nature gets the upper hand. That happens to all of us. And so we might lose the battle off and on all day, but we know we're confident that we're going to win the war because look at that heart again. The Holy Spirit lives within you. And the power of the Spirit is working. But it's also why we see that out of the same mouth come blessings and cursings. That's how it happens. For a brief moment, I emotionally react to something. I'm not thinking one way or the other. It's like, wow, I'm just going to react to my child or my wife, or whatever it happens to be at work. And I just get angry. It happens. So we know it's happening. All of us in here know it goes on. There's no exceptions. But we have the Holy Spirit. James 4 tells us a little more of detail on this. It says, what causes quarrels and what causes fights among you? Is it not this, that your passions are at war within you? You desire, there's that word again, you desire and do not have, so you murder. You covet and cannot obtain, so you fight and quarrel. But God gives more grace. See, God's the answer here again. You look to God for this. God opposes the proud and gives grace to the humble. Submit yourselves, therefore, to God. The Apostle John says this about desires. In 1 John 2, 15 and 16, says, Do not love the world or things in the world. If anyone loves the world, the love of the Father is not in him. For all that is in the world, listen to this, the desires of the sin nature and the desires of the eyes and pride and possessions is not from the Father, but is from the world. And the world is passing away along with its desires. But, wherever, but whoever does the will of God abides forever. This competition of desires is going on. Are, are you alert to the desires that are going on inside of you every day? Why are you motivated? What are you yielding to in terms of temptation or sinfulness or selfishness? So look at the believer's heart again. The Father and the Son sent the Holy Spirit to indwell every believer. You receive the Holy Spirit at the time that you become a believer. What's remarkable and surprising and very comforting is as you look in that heart, it's very interesting to see the role of God the Holy Spirit there. I put an arrow in there, because this is amazing. Where's the battle? Look at that chart, where's the battle? What two things are fighting? Do you see that? What's surprising about that? It says it's the sin nature against the Holy Spirit. That's our confidence, it's the Spirit that's working. Praise God. It's not up to me to fight this sin nature and try to control it and wrestle it to the ground. I can't do that. I don't know how to change my heart, and you don't either. But it's the power of the Spirit that's working here. And our hope is in the Spirit, whose job is to glorify Christ. So we can't lose. Ultimately, the war is... God's. 
The battle belongs to the Lord. You've sung that. You've heard that, right? That's what this is saying here. So we might lose a few battles, but we're going to win the war because of the power of the Spirit that's working. So even when we sin, we have the opportunity to repent. And we go to the Lord and say, wow, I confess to you, O Lord. Your Spirit has just now convicted me of sin. And so I come to you and I come in to ask you to forgive me and to change me. And my confidence is in what you are doing. And that's true of everybody in here who's a believer. So that means that when I'm at some sort of problem with somebody, my confidence then is that the same Holy Spirit is working in them that's working in me. That's beautiful. Because I don't have to change somebody else. I can pray for them and I can ask that the power of the Spirit move strongly in their hearts and help them to grow in Christ-likeness because I've seen their sin and I know that they need to do that. But I don't have to lecture them. I don't have to tear them down, tell them how bad they are, how evil they are, how sinful they are. They need me to be praying because I know the same spirit is working in them to change them that's working in me to change me. Isn't that beautiful? I mean, that's so beautiful. It's so hopeful. Do you see at the diagram again under the believer's heart? What's the question there? Not will make me happy. That's for the unbeliever. For the believer, what's the question? What will please my God? It's Jesus in the Garden of Gethsemane. Not my will, but your will be done, O Lord. That's how he lived his entire life. And that's what we need to do. But he did it perfectly. <laughs> So we can actually then go to the Lord when we have sinned. Just like we saw in Psalm 51, David. He'd committed murder and adultery. He'd been confronted by Nathan. He wouldn't even recognize it until the prophet Nathan confronted him. And what did he do? He went to the Lord. And that's what we're to do when we see our sin, when the Spirit of God convicts us. But you know, it's something beautiful that takes place. Because when we're convicted of sin, that means that's a place of growth for us. Isn't that glorious? Because when I go and I confess my sin to the Lord, then I know that the power of the Spirit is now changing the desires in my heart. So I'm being strengthened in terms of being able to move positively in the desires that will please the Lord, but I'm also having that weakening of that sinful desire where I'm in control. My job is what? Just confess my sin. That's all. That's my part. That's it. I don't have to change anything. I can't change anything. So there's a beautiful thing then where we see the power of the Spirit changing these desires that are in our hearts. And we're growing in grace. We're growing in Christ-likeness. And so a lot of times when we do get convicted of sin, how do we feel? Oh, wow, that feels bad. Can't believe I did that. I know you've never said that. I've said it many times. We don't like to have the pain of correction. 
Our children don't like that when we do it with them. It is pain involved. But the beauty is what's going to happen when I go and confess it. Do I own it? And I go and confess it before my Lord. That's how I grow in Christ's likeness. Because he does the change. It's beautiful. And that's the way he set it up. So our responsibility is to repent. God does rest. Verses 13 through 15, we're shown the goal and desire that we should be trying to attain. For you were called to freedom, freedom from the power of sin, brothers. Only do not use your freedom as an opportunity for the sin nature, but through love serve one another. For the whole law is fulfilled in one word. You shall love your neighbors as yourself. But if you bite and devour one another, watch out that you're not consumed by one another. So maintaining loving relationships with both God and man is our goal. Whoever our neighbor is, gender, ethnicity, doesn't matter. We're to love them. Now let's look at the third point on our sermon outline. This is an example of how we grow in Christ-likeness as we love our neighbors ourselves. So it's on the other side than the back side, one you were just looking at, called conflict resolution at the top. So at the top you see the word event, and that's something that happens that creates a strong disagreement between you and another believer. So this is between two Christians, this particular example. So the first thing that happens after an event takes place is what? If you're like me, you don't want to be in their presence anymore. It's like two people going to the opposite side of the boxing ring, right? They want to get away as far as they can from each other. Because you're angry. You're upset. It's normal. Everybody does this. Nobody wants to sit there and keep taking a bunch of stuff, right? So you separate from one another. And that's because your emotions have taken over. But what's important is not the fact that you've sinned. Yes, you've sinned. But now God's going to point out something to you so you can grow. What's important and how you regain a love for your neighbor is how you react afterwards. After you've calmed down. After you've been off by yourself, maybe, maybe one person's at you know, one end of the playground, the other's at the other end of the playground, whatever. You start calming down, your emotions calm down, you get calmer and calmer until you feel more centered again. Your anger's dissipated. And now it's time to go before the Lord. Go before the Lord. So that's the first thing that needs to happen. You need to turn up, look up. And so you place God in the center of your world again. And the question now is, where do you need to change? Not where does the other person need to change? Where do I need to change? You see, I've already become, in just the last few moments, an expert on the other person's sins. I play the blame game. And I start thinking about, well, wow, if I had just said such and such, then I could have won that argument. 
And that tape keeps playing over and over in your head. Or maybe you're resentful. Somebody said something to you that was hurtful and painful, right or wrong, but you were hurt. That's why you're angry. But you become experts in identifying each other's sins. And so when you get before God, now he's at the center of your world and you're stepping out of that role of being in the center of your world. Your selfishness now takes a back seat and now pleasing God takes the front seat. It's not easy, depending on how deeply you've been hurt. And it doesn't matter if you're 5% right or 95% right. And so you begin to ask God, where did I sin? And the Spirit would be very clear on you. The more you think about it, the more you're going to understand, wow, wow, I really did sin here. And a good place to start with that is I got sinfully angry. Lord, help me. Please help me to forgive this other person and please show me clearly where I need to repent. So the next step then is you see your own selfishness, you've seen your own sin, then you do repent. And that's the next step. And then after that happens, now you start praying for the other person. Lord, would you work in them the same way you're working in me? Show me how I am to love them now. Show me how I am to forgive them now. A beautiful thing begins to happen. This, this is Christ's likeness in action. This is a practical example that we all go through all the time. Who's hurt you? Who's angered you? How can you bring reconciliation and healing into that situation? How can you love your neighbor? You see, it's in these negative types of things that actually God is allowing these experiences to bring your attention so he will bring you to the place of repentance and he's changing you and you're growing in Christ's likeness. How beautiful is that? Now look at the diagram again, and you'll see that at the bottom, when you've worked through this, when both people have worked through it, you'll be racing towards one another, hopefully meeting halfway, full of forgiveness. Lord, move in my heart and help me to forgive this person, and now I want to bless this person. So it moves from a place of anger Harshness, selfishness to a place of forgiveness, growing in Christ-likeness and love for one another. And now I'm forgiving the same way that Christ forgave me. And now I want reconciliation in this marriage or parenting situation or work, or it doesn't matter, any relationship we're talking about. So the Holy Spirit is working in both of you. It's a beautiful thing when it can happen. But we need to understand the vision. We need to understand what God's doing so that we can get in line with his will. And his will is to create an end product where there'll be no sin in any of us ever again when he returns. And that's what we're looking forward to. In the meantime, it's a progressive thing that goes on. We're all growing at different levels, different times, ages, seasons, whatever. We're growing in Christ's likeness. And you see the Verses 20 through 24, it 
tells us what Christ-likeness is, and again, it's not a complete thing, but it's, it's a character description of Christ. We call it the fruit of the Spirit. This is what Paul calls it here. And so it says, but the fruit of the Spirit is love, joy, peace, patience, kindness, goodness, faithfulness, gentleness, self-control. Against such things there is no law. And those who belong to Christ Jesus have crucified the sin nature with its passions and desires. There's that word. And so we walk. We walk in the grace of God. Our confidence is in the power of the Spirit. The Spirit is working powerfully in us. And so we long for growth and maturity, but we're asking for change. <laughs> but God is faithful to work in us to do these things and finish what he has started. I know often my prayer is, okay, Lord, I want to grow, but can you do it gently? <laughs> you know? Does it really have to be a deep you know, understanding of something that's rooted in me that really is, is something that's going to cause a lot of pain as I face it? So we're going to be like him. It's going to be beautiful and wonderful. And we will love the Lord with all of our heart, soul, strength, and mind. And we'll love our neighbors ourselves. And we'll have a fullness of joy and pleasures forevermore. Like it says at the end of Psalm 16. What a glorious thing it is. Let's pray. Father, thank you for this great work you're doing in us. And we pray that you'd continue to uh, give us understanding and wisdom about when we are sinful and when we're not and, and giving us a confidence, Lord, a deep, deep confidence in the power of your spirit and how you're working in us and how you delight in us and how you love us and how you have loved us perfectly. And we know you're going to continue. In Christ's name, amen.